love. Jesus told us that the two greatest commandments were, first, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and second, love your neighbor as yourself. So where do we get off criticizing individuals? How are we to solve conflict? The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 and following. So why do we instead crucify the person and spread rumors? Is this loving? All individuals are created in the image of God and are, therefore, important to God. We ought not to shoot first, but remember that God hates the sin and loves the sinner, which implies that we ought also to love the sinner, who might just happen to be our brother in Christ, either now or in the future. So what does it mean to really love? Do you know? Hello, and welcome to God's Word for You for today, from Liberty Lake Church. This is part 7 in the series called, First Peter, Victorious Christian Living Through Suffering. So take out your Bible and open it to 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 22, and follow along with Pastor Shane as he expands our thinking on how we ought to behave toward other believers in the session titled, Brotherly Love. Best day ever right there. Do we have any fourth and fifth graders who are staying behind with us today? Or younger. Just want to say welcome. We're glad we we're glad you're sticking it out with us, and uh, glad to see you guys. So afterwards, uh, would you guys, if if I say something that jumped out to you, and you're like, man, that you know, I really really appreciate that. I want you to come up and tell me, okay? So you just come up and grab me. I'll make time for you. Come on up and and let me know what it is uh, that jumps out this morning. Um, we're talking about brotherly love in First Peter. Anybody have any ideas of brotherly love? Um, I want to, de- well, I'm actually watching it demonstrated. I want to share with you a story because so many times in, when we think of brotherly love, I think it's affected by our human condition. And so uh, when my bride and I were much, much younger, and we had much, much younger children, we have four boys, um, this would have been back in the days when uh, we would go to McDonald's with our children. Anybody remember uh, McDonald's with your kids and playground spaces? Do you know that they let anybody's children into those places? It's a dangerous world in McDonald's playground arenas. Because in there's, there's this section in this one McDonald's that she went to, and she had our two oldest boys at the time, and it was quite a challenge to get into this center arena. And it turned out to be an arena. You know what they do in arenas? They have male testosterone competitions. At least it used to be that way. In this particular arena, it was. There was three boys in there. Two, actually, to start with. My, uh, at the time, it was our number two son and this other kid. Well, the throwdown began. Both moms are outside of the arena. And to get into there to do anything about it, you have to climb through the treacherous maze of McDonald Toyland. So you have two moms attempting to get to the location to stop the fight. But we had an older son. Now, do you know what my older son did? He was a master of navigating that particular unit. 
And by the time my bride got in there, both of my boys were on top of this other kid that started it with my son pummeling him. Now, in some scenarios, we would say that would be brotherly love, right? My, my oldest son is going to protect his brother. The problem with that analogy and making that work is that not many days after that at home, they're trying to kill one another. So that illustration doesn't do us much good when we come to biblical brotherly love, does it? Uh, it, we can look at part of it and say, well, yeah, that's kind of it. You stand up, you go in and you protect and you care for them and you're, you're loving one another. But boy, when it comes to the church and it comes to dealing with brotherly love in the church, it's a little tougher than that. Are you guys aware that we're not all that easy to get along with? If you're not, if you're not aware that we're all that, un, that it's uneasy to get along with us, you might be the one. Now listen, that's a joke. But we need to take very, very seriously the difficulty of loving one another in the context of the church. Because it's in that context that Jesus sets an example and Peter this morning is going to call us to that relationship. And I believe it is one of the most difficult things that we will face as a body of believers is exercising a biblical Brotherly love within the context of our relationship here in this body. I think it's very difficult. And I'll be really honest with you. I know one of the major reasons it's difficult is because I'm here. And that's the truth. I, I I've hopefully I've warned you guys ahead of time. I've been trying to be honest and upfront, let you know. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to offend. I will offend somebody. And it is, Lord willing, never intentional. But man, we have such a great call. And we have such a great opportunity. Are you guys ready to talk about brotherly love this morning? <laughs> Thank you, All right. Just letting that sink in just a little bit because we're going to go there. <laughs> you guys, I just got it. It's your own fault for showing up this morning. <laughs> Y'all have the text. So if you're reading ahead and you still show up, I'm just going to, we're, we're going to do this together. So would you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1? I believe we're finishing up chapter 1 today after eight weeks. When Ben said that we'll be to chapter 5 in not too long, he's defining that from a spiritual term of not too long. That is, that's what we're doing there. So, follow with me this morning in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. By obedience to the truth, having purified yourselves for sincere love of the brothers, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all is glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached as the gospel to you. Now, remember, last week, as we were in First Peter, we were challenged... Uh, in this whole concept of how we address 
or who we address as Father, recognizing that if we call on God, that we need to know who He is and recognize that He's impartial and that He judges fairly. And so how, how we approach Him is so desperately important. Who He is is so desperately important. And here Peter says that it's, it's by obedience to, to the truth. Well, who do we see? Um, let me, let me uh, run us through a couple of passages real quick, just as we set the stage here. John 13. Uh, 34 and 35. Jesus says this to his disciples, I give you a new commandment, love one another just as I have loved you. You must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my my disciples if you love one another. Jesus gives the disciples a new commandment, and by in, in our obedience to that commandment, we display our discipleship or our, the truth that we are in Him, that we are His. And it's, He says that the world, all people will know that we are His disciples by how we do what? Love one another. Love one another. Wouldn't, I, I would have thought that he would have said, all people will know you're my disciples by how you love me. He kind of did, right? Because we know when he was challenged about the greatest commandment, Jesus said that the greatest commandment is that we would love God with all heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is this, that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. There is something about how we treat one another, how we care for one another in the church that is incredibly important to this whole context. So I just wanted us to have John 13, this idea that loving one another, it's how the world sees us because we're going to get back to that, I believe. Um, but it's also a command that was given by Jesus. And if we consider obedience, if we consider being obedient, what does that mean? What does it mean to be obedient? Any of my fourth or fourth or fifth graders, can you guys help the adults with that? What's it mean to be obedient? Do what you're told. Do what you're told, right? How many parents love it when your when your children do what they're told with a bad attitude? <laughs> right? Oh, we don't like that at all. We're excited about the, them doing what they're told, but boy, if they come out with a bad attitude, it really ruins the entire event. Uh, Francis Chan gives an illustration of this. He, he, he says that obedience would be, it, it, it's like asking my daughter uh, to go and clean her room, which I don't have a daughter. I'm using his illustration. That, this would never happen in my home, so I'm not going to use my children. <laughs> I asked one of my boys to clean up his room yesterday, and I swear this was the look I got. And after... All of our years, you would have thought I would have learned. I did not have to actually go in and explain to him, no, 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 I want you to pick up these clothes and put them in this hamper. But anyway, that's, that's my problem. So Francis Chan said that it, obedience sometimes to Christians is like if he were to ask his daughter to clean her room and she were to come back a few days later and say, Dad, I'm really excited about the study and, and, and uh, the request that you have made of me. We've actually memorized what you've said. You said, you know, so sweetie, go clean your room. And so we've got it memorized. And, and we've even translated it into the Greek so we know exactly what it means in the Greek. And we've, done, we've gone a little farther. We're actually gathering together with some of my friends and we're going to study what this means. 
And yet the whole time, the only way to know for sure if she obeyed was if what? If the room was clean. It didn't matter how well she studied it, how many people that, how many times a week they got together to look at it and consider the idea. It doesn't even matter if she likes the idea of the command or if she agreed that it would be a good idea. If the room was not cleaned, obedience did not happen, correct? And so when we come to this idea of obedience to the truth, uh, if we look at John 14, 6, we will see that Jesus makes a very bold statement. John 14, 6, he says this, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Who is the truth that we are in obedience to? Jesus, or the Word of God. By obedience to truth, Peter says, having purified yourselves for sincere love of the brothers. This idea of brotherly love. Purified for brotherly love. Look at 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12. Here Paul is talking about brotherly love. He goes, about brotherly love in verse 9, you don't need me to write you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you are doing this toward all the brothers in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers, to do so even more to seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you so that you may walk properly in the presence of outsiders and not to be dependent on anyone. This idea of brotherly love, Paul says that it's in our nature if we are his children. We're going to see another passage that actually references a similar idea. If we are God's children, then God's already working in us to do brotherly love. What was really amazing, I was thinking about this, can you imagine what that was like for them in their culture? Remember, who are we talking about in 1 Peter? Exiles. People that are suffering for the gospel who've been run out of their homes and are living as temporary residents in other places as exiles. How many of you are really good patients? Like when you're not feeling well, you're phenomenally selfless and others-oriented. <laughs> Why? Because when my life stinks, I have a hard time caring about anybody else. That's just the truth. And here, Peter is challenging the believers who are exiles, who are, who are suffering for the gospel, to love one another, to care for one another. That hit me this morning as I was coming, as I was driving in uh, to church this morning. I'm like, man, I have a hard time doing that when things are good. I have a hard time considering others when, when my back's hurting or when, I just, when I'm sick and I don't feel good, let alone when my life's really miserable. I think it's amazing. Uh, I don't know if I've told you, told you the story or not. I, uh, I was down in South America, Colombia. Um, Tim Van Dyke was our missions trip leader. And I met this man and, and grew to love him. Just amazing. Well, a year later, after we were, we were gone, and there's many stories that you'll hear over the years that you hang out with me from that, because God totally transformed my life on that trip. Um, but one of the things that happened um, the next year was uh, guerrillas came in, and they took several people captives out of that camp. And uh, Tim Van Dyke was there, and they were... Uh, 
the guerrillas were going to take one of the young men that that was there who was a cook because they wanted they they wanted the young guys they thought he'd, he'd probably be worth more and uh, this young man was a brand new father uh, new to the mission field and Tim Van Dyke turned to his four children and his wife and he said goodbye I love you and he went and lobbied the guerrillas to take him instead of this kid now Tim didn't come home from that. Uh, he died several years later um, at, at a gun because the, the guerrillas were being overrun by the um, Colombian military. And for whatever reason, it was better to have dead hostages than live ones. Now, I can't fathom that. The kind of brotherly love that offers up yourself in that scenario. And yet, doesn't that model what Christ did? Isn't that what the, I, I believe what you will see, what you and I will see as we continue to study the word is that that is exactly what Christ did for us. This whole idea of brotherly love, it resides from the person of Christ. It's the character, it's who he is, and it's given to us. This, uh, I'm going to give a few definitions here just because I want us to really wrestle with what Peter is challenging us to live, the truth of this concept of brotherly love. One of the things he says is that we're, to be, we're purified uh, for brotherly love. He says, having purified yourselves for sincere love of the brothers. This idea of purifies to make pure or free from sin or guilt or other undesirable traits. To be pure in our love of the brethren, to be free from sin or guilt or other undesirable traits. And the second word, when you, come, when you put them together, is sincere or without hypocrisy. That the love that we have for one another is sincere and without hypocrisy. That I would not say one thing to you and then do another thing when you're not there. That that's the kind of love that a Christian, that a child of God would exercise with one another. Now, I got to tell you, as we look at this brotherly love, isn't there a party that just goes, oh, how I would love to be involved in a church like that. Okay, I'm going to say that one more time. As you're considering brotherly love, at some point, don't you all, don't you think to yourself, oh, how I'd love to be involved in a church like that? A couple of you? This would be amazing if we cared for one another, if we, if we lived selflessly for one another, if your concerns were of as great of concern to me as my own concerns are. If I looked at you as Christ looked at you and I exercised love as he loved, what an amazing place that would be. I would, I would challenge us to say that we couldn't keep the lost out of here. If that's how we lived. You'd have a hard time keeping people that were desperate and hungry for truth away from a church that loved like Christ. And yet that's the call that we have on our lives as a church. 1 John 4. Verse 7 says this. Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God is love. 
God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is perfected in us. A love without hypocrisy, a love that is pure. That's the love that we are set aside apart through Christ. It's his character. It is who he is. I love that he repeats it. He says, uh, uh, Peter says again, uh, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, which I think is interesting because in the Greek, there is actually no, there's no pure there uh, that we see in the English because it, I really believe that it's implied that our hearts, if they are living in obedience and, and they've been purified, that this pure heart, it is who we are. It's not something that we strive for, but it's who we are. The work comes in this idea of earnestly or strenuously. I was thinking about this as I was wrestling with this. What does it mean to strenuously love someone? Earnestly love someone. Oh, just let it percolate. Let's think about it. When was the last time that you were strenuously or earnestly pursuing your bride or your spouse? I had some kid say to me the other day, he goes, he goes, ah, you don't need to do that. You're married already. And I looked at this dumb kid. And <laughs> I was like, dude, it is so much fun though. If you live strenuously pursuing the love of your bride's heart, you will enjoy it. Do it. Promise you it works. If we earnestly pursue the loving one another, what would it look like in our church? What would it look like? Do we know who needs love here? Are we aware of who's hurting? Who's lonely? Who's fearful? Who's feeling abandoned or lost? There's opportunity here for the love of Christ. We're just within this room to overflow and to lavish on one another. And it is God's plan that we would do it. It's a pretty dangerous day when sometimes the reputation of our church is um, that we, will, we would shoot our wounded or kill our wounded. Um, I remember having a conversation with an uh, individual out. Uh, it was actually in Enos Valley. And um, I was sharing with her that we were at this church in Enius Valley, and this gal goes, oh, that's that, that's that church that kills anybody that you disagree with, right? And I'm like, uh, uh, well, no, uh, well, I didn't have an answer. I'm like, I've never killed anybody, and I'm preaching, so I'm hoping, you know, I'm thinking, not anymore. And she begins to tell me a story of 
of an interaction that she had with one of the former leaders of that church and how they were down doing a missions project in town feeding the hungry and all she heard about was the wretched people of the church that, that this woman was involved with. And she was one of the leaders of the church at that, that time. And so when I was trying to invite this gal to church, she's like, I would never go to your church. I would never go there because of how you, your people treat each other. Is that the only church that's ever had that reputation? Fortunately, it's not. I did say this already, right? We're tough to get along with. We're just hard to get along with. We're people. And it requires the love of God. I think it's amazing. I hope you've caught the repetition. But once again here in verse 23, Peter reminds us that we are born again. And then he establishes us for us the quality of the seed, the quality of that which was planted in you and in me. First Peter 1, I'll just remind us of what Peter said. First Peter 1, three and, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable and uncorruptible, uncorrupted and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Peter is referring again to the, the, the quality of the seed, that what has been planted in us, the, the, the work of the Spirit that is planted in us is imperishable. 1 John 3.9 says this, and I don't like this one, by the way. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. Now, I, I, I get it, and we're not going to take time to wrestle with this passage. But we also know First John says that if anyone says he's without sin, he's what? A liar. And that we need to confess our sin. So there's a little bit of tension here, right? What is the nature of your relationship with God? Who are you if Christ is indwelling you? We are born again. We're new. We are His. We have the victory over sin. I don't have to live like I used to. That's one of the things that Peter is reminding us. Don't forget, we're letting go of the youth, the, the useless former way of life. We don't live like that anymore because we're new in Christ. Now, I'm here to tell you, I still struggle with selfishness, pride, and maybe a few other things, but we don't have time for that list. And none of us want to put our list up, do we? But the reality is how we live in the truth that is in us, it is Christ who is the center point. It is Christ who is the picture. And that seed is imperishable. You and I have a spectacular calling in light of the church. And I think that Peter makes it really clear as he's wrestling with this truth, identifying that it seems to be our flesh that's the problem. And it's the word of God that endures. For whatever reason, our flesh seems to get in the way. I, I, I'm going to testify and confess a little bit. My back's a little sore this morning. 
Um, I have to move a few blocks. Now, I've got some retaining wall blocks that weigh about 78 pounds each. And I, this may surprise most of you. There was a day where I could move all of those blocks. And in my head, it was not that long ago. And so I went out and started moving blocks yesterday. And there was a particular moment where I grabbed onto one of the blocks and I moved incorrectly. And I know I moved incorrectly because my body told me I moved incorrectly. Now, I found myself very momentarily very frustrated with that scenario. I was very frustrated with the weakness of my flesh. I found myself lamenting the lack of exercise in my life and thinking if only I had been more disciplined as a young man and I had done things differently, I would physically be in better shape. And even to the point, this is how bad it got, even to the point where I started thinking, well, I should do something about that. Thank you. Because if I'm in this condition now, it's because I didn't think it was important to do something about it earlier, right? And the likelihood of me doing something about it now is pretty... What's the point? My focus became on my, I, I became very, very focused on my flesh very, very quickly. And I got very frustrated about what I was dealing with. And for whatever reason, Peter seems to think that our flesh is the big problem between us and loving other people. When he comes to describing how we're to love one another, he references Isaiah, what is it, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8. He references this idea of our flesh fading and the word of God enduring. The only thing that endures is the word of God. Your flesh will not last. So clearly I must be struggling when it comes to loving others sacrificially as Christ loved the church. There must be a competition for that within my flesh. Now, for those of you who are young, especially our fourth, fifth, sixth graders or Isaac, for those of you that are young, under 30 years old, I would like you to just pay attention really quick as I ask those of us who are a little bit more experienced in our lives, how long ago did it seem to you you were a young teenager and you could do anything? Just yesterday, right? How many of us today are living a life that in our heads we're still young? And our bodies are screaming at us when we run after it. And it feels like just yesterday that was, that was the truth. We could do anything. When, when Peter says that our flesh fades like the grass, it is a truth that is often difficult to comprehend when we are young. We look at life and it feels like there's no end. Things will never get here. We've talked about this. Christmas and birthdays take forever. And now we look at him and we're like, when, when did that happen? How did I lose four of them? It just goes by so quick. I think that that's one of the reasons that as you see senior saints aging in a pursuit of Christ, that you watch them uh, I've seen several who have ended their lives so selflessly that it was awe-inspiring for me. Um, I remember I've got to sit with several dear saints as they were leaving. Um, 
one in particular, it was a few years back. And uh, I only knew the guy a um, very, very short time. And um, Mr. Hightower was, was um, what I called him. And he had been involved in my being hired as a youth pastor at this church. And as he was dying from cancer, he, he called and he asked that I would come in and sit with him. And um, as we were sitting there talking, he was struggling to, to talk and, and his body was fading. Um, and he turned to me and he said, I am, I'm so concerned about your ministry that I can't help, I can't stop praying for you right now because I'm just, I'm just concerned about you following the Lord and, and the work God's going to do in your life. Here he's dying. He's leaving. And he was concerned about my marriage and my ministry. And I, I wonder if as we age and as we see the withering of the grass in our lives, if the love of God and the beauty of His Word when held in a right view in our hearts, if it doesn't begin to magnify. And how, oh, how we should radiate that love as we understand the shortness of life and the gravity and beauty of a supernatural God who's indwelt us, who has redeemed us, and who has called us His own. Are you a child of God today? Are you born of the imperishable seed? And brothers and sisters, we should be a place of love like no other place. There should be no other organization that loves one another like we do. There should be no other group on earth that accomplishes for the sake of the cross what we can accomplish together in and amongst ourselves. As you think about the body this morning, I want to challenge us on one thing. Because I'm going to do this. I'm actually going to go and meet with a, a, somebody I would have called a former friend of mine this week. Because as I was studying this word, I realized <sighs> I don't like the guy. And that's not okay. Because I claim to be a follower of Christ. And so does he. And that's not okay. That sucks. Just so you know. Because i got to swallow some pride. So here's my challenge. I'm really lucky. I don't know, if, I don't know you guys well enough to really not like anybody yet. <laughs> Just being honest. But the truth is, there's a real good chance that if you've been doing church together for more than, I don't know, a year, that you might have people in this congregation that you struggle with relationally. I'm not saying that we're going to be BFFs. That's best friends forever. It's just trying to, trying to connect with my young guys. I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen. But how we love one another matters. We cannot come to church claiming to be followers of Christ and be spiteful and hateful and hurtful to one another. 
The text says we're not his if that's how we're living. I don't like it. Because it means I got to die to myself and go and address things. And it's tough. But that's what the word says. So here's our challenge for this week. Who is it that God has on your heart that you have held a bitterness towards or a dislike towards or mistreated? And I'm not saying all, let's do with, let's focus on us here. We have enough, we probably have enough opportunities for growth right here. Who is it that God's called us to love? It's one another. Who is it that we're struggling to love? Would you Go to the Lord this week. And would you ask him to reveal that to you? And commit with me this morning as we go to prayer to take care of that issue this week. That's my challenge. You guys can check, you can check on me next week. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it this week. I'm going to go take care of an issue that I, that's been percolating in my heart a while and it's it's just been it's been ruining certain aspects of my ability to be gospel light because it has me kind of bound up inside spiritually emotionally and i know i need to go deal with it i want to challenge you to do that so i'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or stand up or come forward to do anything like that because that would be radical and we're not into that but i am going to ask you to quietly personally you talk with the Lord. You do business between you and God this morning as I close in prayer. And if you would commit with me to get after this truth about loving one another, like Christ has called us to love one another, I would love to either get a phone call, email, hey, man, this is awesome. This is what happened. Got her done. I would love to hear it. Pray with me, would you? Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love and your truth. Thank you that your word is impartial. That God, the aspect of brotherly love has nothing to do with my goodness or my ability or my, my worth or anything that I would deserve. But my commission from you to love one another, to love the brothers and sisters of this body, of your body, of your church. That comes because of who you are and what you have done. And it is that truth that has challenged my heart to take care of an issue. I would pray this, this week, Lord, as, as we, as your church, bow our heads and our hearts before you, God, that you would open the door, reveal through your spirit, what it is that we're hanging on to, a bitterness or, or an anger or a hurt or something, Father, that would be in the way of us loving another brother or sister in your church. And that, God, not only would you convict us of it and that you, would you reveal it to us, but you would empower us to take the action, to take the step, to either ask forgiveness or offer forgiveness, but to engage this truth of loving one another. as you, Lord Jesus, did on the cross for me. That while I was still your enemy, you died for me. 
I have no excuse not to love mine. Father, teach us to be like you. And I pray as we exercise love, Father, that your gospel light would radiate to this community of Liberty Lake. That they would recognize that there is hope and life and love here that only comes because of you, Lord Jesus. Guide us and direct us in your word this week. Guide our hearts and draw us closer to you that we would honor you and glorify you in all that we do. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message from Liberty Lake Church in Liberty Lake, Washington. Our pastor, our elders, and our prayer watch team are available to pray with you or to answer any questions you may have. Contact us through www.LibertyLinkChurch.com or follow us on Facebook. We look forward to hearing from you and welcome any comments you may have. As always, we appreciate your prayer support. Join us next week on God's Word for You for Today for another message from Liberty Lake Church. Thank you again and God bless.